it is perhaps the greatest controversy in all of Star Trek, Dumb Bill, from 1966 all the way down to today. It is the greatest controversy. When Khan Noonien Singh takes off his mask, looks at Captain Terrell and says, I don't know you. And then he turns to Pavel Chekhov, who is clearly scared, and says, but you. And he does that thing with his finger that I love. Mm -hmm. He points, but it's curved. He says, I never forget a face. Mr. Chekhov. People have been arguing since that day in 1982. How in the world could he know Chekhov? Check the Space Seed, the episode that this is based on, which is one of the best episodes of Star Trek there is, is a first season episode. And Pavel Chekhov did not show up on Star Trek until the second season of Star mm-hmm. Trek. And this has driven people into fits of, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Apoplectic retconning? Yeah. People looking for something to have controversy about, maybe. They can't deal it, with that. It would the be fact. like you, Dave, going on to your first submarine, and they're saying, here, Dave, you drive. Well, that's what they do. That's one of the junior watch stations. <laughs> that's one of the actual junior watch stations is driving ship. Is it? Yes. Well, no wonder the Connecticut had the issues it had. Then. Well, now things have changed on the modern submarines. <laughs> now they use senior people to drive, so, mm. which is weird. I didn't know that until the other day, but... At any, oh, rate, wow. at any rate, I'm still listening to the podcast with Eric. I haven't finished it yet, yeah. so I've got to catch up. So that was so funny because Eric, for those of you who haven't listened to the show about the update on Eric had just gotten back from the doctor and he was high as a freaking kite on various <laughs> kinds of, of, of cold medications. And it was great. And he's a pretty devout religious guy. So he's, uh, it was pretty fun. It was a lot of fun. And once I yeah. realized that, about a third of the way into the show, I was like, then I just started messing with him. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, this controversy has been great, but we meet a couple characters in this episode of space seed in the first season. We meet Khan Noonien Singh, who is, you got Klingons, you got Romulans, you got Thasians, you've got Tholians, you have Metrons. You got dozens and dozens of Star Trek adversaries antagonists. I don't think any of them generate the fear, the visceral oh crap feeling of Khan Noonien Singh. He's he just, is the best individual bad guy. Individual bad guy they've got. is just flat out evil. And mm-hmm. you feel it. You feel it when you meet him. Credit to Ricardo Montalban for playing him so well. Twice. Who, in the second time he plays him, he had kind of, he, he, he did an interview later, said he'd kind of forgotten what it was about. And so he went back and got the episode and watched it like 10 or 12 times to recapture the character. And Very boy, nice. did he ever recapture the yes, character. Yes, he did. Because he's even, he's even meaner in, in, the, in, the, re- in the movie than he and was obsessed. And Totally yeah. obsessed. And why is he obsessed? Well... Is he obsessed because Kirk abandoned him on this planet or because his wife died? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> See, I, I've never really, I, I've always had a problem with that part of the episode because I'm imagining myself as some Starfleet bureaucrat somewhere, mm-hmm. some Admiral Cartwright. Cartwright would be a good example. Admiral Cartwright sure. saying, all right, 
run this by me again. You met a guy who was from the 21st century. You rescued them. They took over your ship, tried to kill you. You beat them, and then you just left them on some planet somewhere? Um, that doesn't seem like it's procedural compliance to me. Well, and that may be true, but going back to the original premise of the show, which is Wagon Train to the Stars, the idea that there's not any real justice out there. You've got to handle it, Captain. That's why you're the captain. And rather than destroy a culture, perhaps, that he has been somewhat prodded into believing by Marla MacGyvers, right? That he's prodded into believing that there is value in these old earth humans, even though they are flawed. And with Khan's desire to rule because he's a better human, he gave him an opportunity to do it rather than imprison him, put him to death, whatever may have been the other alternatives. And he gave him a chance to, to create his own society and see what it's like. I can see it being a problem, but I'm thinking if you're out there and you are, the, you're the sheriff in town and you got to make the call, there's where you go. Well, we couldn't have put him to death because the only death penalty on the books is to go to Talos four. That's true. So, which they also ignore, like the prom directive, by the way. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> the, the the whole thing with with leaving them on the planet, of course, SETI Alpha Five, and Spock's line is, "It'd be interesting to come back in a hundred years and see what we've created here." Mm-hmm. Fifteen years later, the USS Grissom, survey vessel Grissom with Pavel Chekhov as the executive officer now, under the command of Captain Terrell, is, is, no, it's not Grissom. Grissom is, I don't remember which one it is. It's Reliant. Jeez, Dave. Yeah, the Reliant. It's Reliant. Yeah. God. Anyway, the Reliant goes to, uh, to examine SETI Alpha 6, and we beam down, and it's a terrible place. And that's where we discover accidentally that this is not SETI Alpha 6. It's SETI Alpha 5. Now, let's stop there for a second. Is there not a problem that they don't notice there's a planet missing in the system? Well, go back to what you were saying before about wagon trains to the stars. I mean, did they, how much mapping did they really do? How much? Well, they knew there were a five and six 15 years earlier. (sighs) See, I just keep running into that over and over again, particularly in the original episodes where there's so much they don't know for how much they do know. There's a whole lot that they don't know. This star system is uncharted. We've never been in this area before. We've never been this far out. Mm-hmm. It's possible, I guess, that they might not know. Look, I'll suspend disbelief to get into yeah. the story because, yeah. yeah, that's what we do for science fiction. But there are just questions like that that pop up. Right. And even that isn't the greatest controversy because the greatest controversy is a few seconds later where we meet Khan again and he delivers his famous line to Chekhov. Mm-hmm. I never forget a face, meaning that he has met Chekhov face to face. Sure. We never saw that in the Space Seed episode. And fact, I don't find that unreasonable. We never saw we never saw Chekhov in the Space Seed episode because Space Seed is a first season episode. Chekhov didn't show up until the second season, right? Right. So Doesn't why mean he wasn't on the ship, what? serving in okay. some other capacity, earning his way into the navigation ship. But how do you know that? You don't know that. You Oh, but Bill, believe but it. Bill, what if you could prove that was the case? I would, I would appreciate that. Sure. Okay. All right. Stay with me here. Okay. The summer of 1982 was the greatest 
probably the greatest summer of my life. Um, the music was fantastic. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts were big. Asia. I remember this. You remember the super group Asia? Yes. Oh, they were everywhere that summer. Um, it was my first summer as an adult, I guess. I was 18. I'd left home. I joined the Navy. I was mm -hmm. in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is not the worst place for an 18-year-old single guy to spend a summer. True. By any stretch of the imagination. It is, it is a beautiful place. Although, I, I, in fairness, I will say the beach is a little disappointing. It, especially if you're a West Coast kid and you're used to Malibu or Waikiki or something like that. East Coast beaches are a good bit different. That's East Coast true. beaches are not that. They are much less um, sandy and much less wide. I mean, that's just... Yes, and, until that's you get, true. You, there's some Daytona, I guess. Is Who wants to walk forever before you hit the water? Come on, you West Coasters. Mm, well, there you go. Anyway, it was a great <laughs> summer. Ended up out at Pembroke Mall in, in Virginia. It's actually Norfolk, but um, to see it on, a, on an afternoon, I remember it very clearly being an afternoon showing. Now, it may be that we were on daylight savings time, and further south. So when we got out of the movie, the sun was still shining very brightly. I remember that because I was in absolute tears. I was almost inconsolable with the ending of the, of the, of the wrath of Khan. I you know was, what they ended that so well. Yes, they did. With such was such a great tribute. And I, I mean, do we tell everybody at the end why you were I, distraught? I, I think at this point, spoilers are kind of off the table. I mean, this was 1982. Yeah. 92, 02, 12, 20. That's 40 years ago. You're kind of shocked they take a main character like they Spock killed and Spock. allow him to die. Right. Yeah. They killed Spock. Now, I was prepared for something like that because some years before, I'm thinking it was 1978, William Shatner had done a speech at a college. And it was not unusual in those days for folks to do speeches like that for actors to do speeches like that. And they would do performances and performance art kind of thing. And then they would record that and release it as a record album. And I had that record album of, of Shatner's performance and part of his performance. Well, you was, are geeked out. Yeah. Yeah. In those days, especially uh, <laughs> part of that performance was he did uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. He did a monologue from Cyrano de Bergerac. That was fantastic. But then he starts talking about the new Star Trek movie. Z and he said movies, now that I think about it. Uh -huh. And he said in that, anything could happen. Captain Kirk could die. And the whole audience starts booing and hissing. And, and then he says, but wait, 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 wait. It's science fiction. We can bring him back to life. Which is something cool about sci-fi. Yeah, it, it is until it becomes a MacGuffin. Then, it, then it's a problem. Like in the reboots where if, if you're so convinced that the death isn't going to matter... It, you don't is, care about you it. don't care about it. You don't have any emotional yeah. connection to it. Like when right. Scotty is killed by Nomad, you know he's not really dead. He's not he's not going to stay dead, so you don't care. There's no right. Right. there's no shock to it. When Spock dies, I don't think anybody knew for sure that he was coming back. And I had the feeling. I, I mean, you might have had that feeling. You might have had that because hope. of the Genesis planet in play. Right. They weren't going to let Spock stay dead. It just wasn't going to happen. Except that Leonard Nimoy was leaving. He was he, he was done. He made that very clear. And it actually took him directing Star Trek 3 and 4 to get him back. So they had to change the plots. And, and you notice he's almost not even in Star Trek 3 at all. Right, right. Except at the very end, except as played by other people. So it 
but the character was going to survive one way right. or the other. It just when it becomes so apparent, and this is what I didn't like with the reboot movie was it was so obvious that Kirk was not going to stay dead that you, there was no emotional shock to it. There was no value to it. Yeah, because it, it was obviously a replay of these events with the twist right. that the new timeline gave them. Sure, right. and that they had Spock Prime to ask about it. Um, Can we go back to Nimoy for just a second? Sure. If you are that actor, and I realize you're trying to do other things. You've even, what, penned a book that mm -hmm. I am not Spock. But yes. to walk away from that character that is going to bring you not just a claim, but the ability for you and your family to live for generations. Um, do you turn down that role, really, when it's offered again? See, that's one of the common things in, in acting is I don't want to be typecast. Well, why not? I mean, would you rather If you want to typecast me and Trek, do it all day, yeah. every day. I'll yeah. And... If you wanted to typecast me as a as a conservative chat show host, I guess I'd live with that. I, yeah. If, as long as it pays, what what do I care? Yeah. But these people, it's man, they work. get they W O R K. Get, unlike unlike James Duhan, who really embraced Scotty. I mean, mm -hmm. he stayed as Scotty till the day he died. Same with Alan Hale Jr. Alan Hale Jr. used to wear the, skipper, the skipper hat, and he would wear the skipper hat everywhere he went, and people would know him as the skipper. There's got to be some element of that. To the um, point that you see him in Westerns and you think, yeah. man, that's not the skipper. Quit that. Kill <laughs> <laughs> <Go> again. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> there, it, it just, it, the impact of that death at the end of, of, of the Wrath of Khan, I remember it very clear. I was 18, sunny day, and, and people were making fun of me because shipmates, you know, classmates were making fun. Of, how can you be so upset about a movie? And my response was always, well, you cried at the end of an officer and a gentleman, so there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which also came out that summer. It was great. The movie, The Wrath of Khan, stands out for a lot of reasons. For me, the, the soundtrack is just, I still think it's the best soundtrack of all of Star Trek. It Hands down. The They went back to, in the intro, they went back to the original dun, da, 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 intro, yeah. which... You know, I mean, if you're a Trekkie, that that sends chills down your down your arms when you hear that. It most certainly does. Yeah. Which we didn't hear in the motion picture until almost the very end. We didn't get any of that. So they returned to that open phrase. There's a lot of action adventure, a lot of phasers, and a lot of a lot of uh, photon torpedoes. Well, and speaking of new things, yeah, you had the slugs that they put in Terrells and Chekhov's ear. <laughs> yeah. That was a new thing. And cringeworthy as you watched it occur. Yeah. Yeah. I still <laughs> grab my ears every time I see that scene. Because like, uh, I just, I don't, I don't deal well with that. We had new characters. Uh, Savick, who of course is um, introducing Kirstie Alley. I, we had not realized that she had not actually started playing on, uh, on Cheers yet. But, it had, so. Cheers hadn't come out, but. They had to be in production. They had to be right? in production because the first episode of Cheers was September of 82. As we learned on the first take of this, which, which you will not hear, but at any <laughs> rate, at any rate, we, uh, she was so gorgeous. I mean, just. Absolutely. Every, every checkbox you need for me, she hits. I mean, it's just like, holy Including crap. how she speaks out today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of lost interest in her along the way, but at any rate, yeah. she, uh. She's half Vulcan, half Romulan. 
I'd forgotten the half Romulan right. part. Which becomes integral in the plot of Star Trek three and four when the character, no longer played by her, um, is actually pregnant with Spock Jr.'s child, the new Spock's, the regenerated Spock, the regenesis Spock. Because they had to child. go through Pond Far right. on the Genesis planet. Right. And so that could have been, imagine you that. Talk about taking one for the team, Savick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But think about this in context of, of the future of Star Trek. I mean, you had you had potentially a, a Spock child. Now we've got Kirk's kid, David Marcus, who is right. who is a, even Carol Marcus says this. She's a, he's a lot like you in the same ways because he's he's impulsive. He's charismatic. People follow him. He doesn't seem to care much for proper procedures and proper. <laughs> authorities he just does what he wants to do to get to the end goal like kirk often did right but in kirk's case it usually works out and in david's yeah. case not so much except for getting his spock back yeah which i it caused me to wonder is the new spot gonna have genetic problems that are going to cause him to disappear again later or to be something other than what he was could be but i i just i look at that and i think man You've got the cast here in place for a whole new Star Trek that isn't necessarily Enterprise-based, but you've got Savick, you've got Marcus. Uh, you could have had Preston, uh, Spock, or Scotty's nephew, the engineer. Yes. Cadet Preston, you could have had him. Which wasn't explored in the movie, but was covered really well in the novelization of it. I think they filmed that scene that showed that, but they cut it out. I mean, Star Trek, the motion picture was long anyway, so they had to cut. If I remember right... And don't quote me on this. I think it's in the director's cut, but I haven't watched the director's cut in 20 years. Well, so. I just watched a nearly three hour James Bond movie, which by the way, you've got to see if you haven't seen it yet. No time to die. It is the best Bond flick ever to go totally off script here. Is it as long as Skyfall? Cause I liked Skyfall, but I had to watch it in 20 minute chunks. It was like two hours and 50 minutes, pretty much yeah. a movie. So yeah. All right. And I actually sat through it twice now. And didn't get up to pee in either time. So I'm okay. At 60 years old, Bill, that's pretty impressive. I'd be 62 to you there, rookie. I know. I'm just trying to be nice. <laughs> so it leaves us with the overall question. The Wrath of Khan. Best Star Trek movie or just the most popular Star Trek movie? Of the movies, I would categorize it the best. The things you mentioned. That it, it does make a connection back to the original series. And it's a good extension of that series, of, of that story, and of characters you would have wondered about. What happened to them? How did they get from where they were to where they are now? And what did it leave them as? And did they develop as they would have? Obviously, no, because they didn't get the opportunity. Um, that the adventure was there. The, the phaser fire was there. The new creatures were there. The, the characters were what you would expect them to be. And I, I, I think it... It, unlike some of the other movies, they weren't out searching for God. They were dealing with just not stress let that and go, are you? at the at the moment. You're just not going to let that no, God thing go, are you? I will not, because that was never a Star Trek thing. But yeah, <laughs> well, it kind of was actually. Who mourns for Adonais? Um, for me, it's not the or best Adonis. one. Well, it's Adonais, but that's okay. that's one of those. Anyway, we'll get there some other day. Um, <laughs> For me, it was not the best one. It's certainly the most popular, and it certainly is is very entertaining. For me, 
Uh, the best one is actually six. I, I love Star Trek. So I like the motion picture. I know most people don't, but I like the motion picture. But for me, six is actually the one I really, That's really the undiscovered f- country. Yes. And there's some reasons why, but or, that Good are not plot lines there too. Relevant Absolutely. to today. But, but at any rate, it certainly has become the most popular, maybe, maybe four with the whales is, is right up there. But, but generally no, that speaking, was too environmentally conscious for me. Yeah. For you Sorry. and I, but most yeah. people, Star Trek four is one of those movies that you can take people who aren't Star Trek fans to, and they'll follow it. They'll, they'll understand it. They'll, they'll get into it. Two, six, five, definitely not five or three. Um, you can't, and you certainly can't take someone who's not a Star Trek fan to, to, to the motion picture because they'll just be bored. They won't. Yeah. Care, and that's so. where I think they botched a, a reboot of a series episode. So there you go. Well, they certainly didn't in the wrath of Khan, but it does leave the question, which is, I never forget a face, Mr. Chekhov. And then mm-hmm. he raises him up with the arm and that's pretty cool. I've always thought that, that was really cool. And people have been going nuts ever since with how, how do they, how do they know each other? Because this was the first season, basically the first season, second season is, is when Chekhov comes on. And of course, as Bill explained earlier, the, the explanation, the retcon has always been, well, maybe he was on the ship and we just didn't see him. That would be a reasonable assumption. It would it's be like, a reasonable assumption, but what could you do to prove that? If That's you could the prove question. it, I would be gratified. How gratified would you be, Bill? I would Don't answer that. You, Don't answer that question. I would send you a Bill McLive coffee mug. See, I need one of those anyway. So get it so get it packed up because I'm about to send it to you. I'm about to explain okay. this to you. Okay, go. The second season is interesting because like the first season, it is broadcast out of production order. A mock okay. time is the first episode of the second season, which a mock time probably the second most popular Star Trek episode of all time. This is one where Spock's getting married. They go back to Vulcan. They fight Captain Kirk. You got the great music that Jim Carrey uses in his ridiculous movie, The Cable Guy. And everybody loves it. And at the end, Jim's not dead. And Spock has an outburst of emotion. And you know the story, right? Yes, absolutely. But that was not the first second season episode produced. The first episode produced was actually an episode that people either love it or hate it. But it was the only episode of Star Trek ever produced, including the original series, the animated series, Enterprise, Next Gen, none of them. This was the only Star Trek episode ever produced that was specifically tied to a holiday. And this episode was Cat's Paw, the Halloween episode. Really? And this is actually Chekhov's first appearance on on Star Trek. Now, in a mock time, he's the nav- he's the the navigator. Mm-hmm. And we have the great scene where he's playing with Sulu about, you know, do we plot a course back to Vulcan or back to Starbase 11 or back to, you know, I've been updating right. that course for 20 minutes. But that's not his first actual appearance in Star Trek. His first appearance is in the episode Cat's Paw, and he is standing in as the backup science officer. And he's wearing mm-hmm. that ridiculous Davy Jones wig. Oh, that was horrible. And well, his hair hadn't grown out enough. And the only reason that he's there, 
well, not the only reason, but the primary reason he's there is that the, the newspaper Pravda, the Soviet newspaper, mm-hmm. had criticized Gene Roddenberry for his utopian view of, of the future, not including the Russians. And so he invented this character called Chekhov, put him in there. And Chekhov, no one else ever speaks of Chekhov being Russian. Only Chekhov talks about being Russian. Mm-hmm. He talks about, you know, there's an old Russian fairy tale. It's right. The Garden of Eden was right outside of Moscow and yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah. But he's the only one who ever does. And that's one of the inside jokes that very few people catch is that only Chekhov talks about being Russian. Mm-hmm. The, the interesting thing about Cat's Paw is that it occurs on star date 3142.3. I'm sorry. That's incorrect. 3018.2 is Cat's Paw's star date. Star date 30, 3018.2, orbiting this planet Praxis, whatever, Proxima 7, where we've lost a crewman and Mr. Scott and Mr. Sulu are missing, right? Dun, dun, dun. And we beam down. It's this very Halloween esque thing. In fact, there's a lot, there's a great line in here where Kirk says, McCoy says, castles, black cats, witches. If I didn't know better, I'd say somebody's trying to. Pull a trick or treat on us. And Spock says, trick or treat? And Kirk looks at him and says, you'd be a natural. <laughs> okay. The question of these star dates, though, Bill, is where it's at. Have you ever thought about these? Yes. The star dates don't seem to tie logically to a calendar date because they don't. Exactly. They're, they're a NASA mission clock. So you will notice that if you pay close attention to this, the star dates will always start with one, two, three, four, or five and into the animated series, a six. That indicates the first digit indicates the year of the five-year mission. Okay. The second three digits indicate the day of that year and the point indicates the hour. Right. Okay. So cat's ball 3018.2. So we're on the 18th day of the third year of the mission okay. at roughly two in the morning, whatever, or whatever time frame they're using there. Right. Just for reference, this puts Cat's Paw, the episode Cat's Paw, between the end of the menagerie, which ended on 3013.2 or five days earlier. Okay. And the episode Shore Leave, 3025.3 roughly seven days later. You with me here so far? I am. The star date of Space Seed is 3142.3, or 124 days after Cat's Paw. So Chekhov was there, just Chekhov not in the was episode. Not, not in the episode, but he was there, and we can prove that by the star dates, because we know that he was on the bridge in Cat's Paw, filling yeah. in for Spock at Science Station. But he doesn't, he isn't necessary. He isn't a, a necessary element for Space Seed. And so he wasn't used. So even though it's a first season episode, it's actually a third year mission. Star Trek is not, it, it, it's not shown on a story arc like, like shows are today. It's episodic. Absolutely not. It's episodic. Meaning yeah, that it's, it's all over the place. There's no, there's no, you know. This episode happens, then this happens. It's not like that. It's It's not not a continual storyline. Absolutely not. Right. Which most people seem to forget. So 
that actually proved the episode cat's paw actually proves that the checkoff was there when Khan was aboard. He was just, you know, not on the bridge below decks. And of course, at some point Khan gets free or starts running around the ship, starts taking over things. And, uh, it's very probable that at some point he ran into Mr. Chekhov, whose face he never forgets, Bill. That's true. And so you don't need to retcon it because Roddenberry probably knew that. And to the, to the day he died, I'm pretty sure Roddenberry was always confused about why people didn't understand that, uh, the Chekhov was there. And yet now we know definitively, we can prove definitively that he was. Does that make you feel better? Look at that. You see this? I see that. I see It'll that be logo. on its way. I you, see that logo well. too. I see that logo too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I got my coffee cup coming. So I got that yes, going. Yes, you do. Me. So there you go. Isn't that cool? It is. And that's well done, Dave. Well done. So you can make an argument that the Wrath of Khan actually borrows from Cat's Paw too, which is, again, it's one of those episodes that, you know, you either love it or hate it. I mean, it has a lot of cat's paw is a terrible episode plot wise, but it is entertaining. It was, I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, she was in another episode at some point she played an Android like creature. Yeah. I think she was one of the androids on mud. No, 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 no. This was when there was a godlike figure, Tim Connolly, I think played him hmm. white haired. I don't remember. He'd been around forever. He'd been through all of Earth's history, and I don't remember which episode that was. But she was his love interest that he had created in this android body. Huh. And Kirk fell in love with her as soon as he got there. Um, gosh, I don't remember the name of the episode now. I vaguely but she played remember. in that. Yeah. And I also saw her in an episode of Combat that was airing on H&I TV. Yeah, she's a, a, she's a pretty well-known actress. And, and just because I know you care... Um, she was also uh, featured at one point in Playboy, so because oh, I, I know you will want to know that. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> so there you go, folks. That's uh, that's Trek talk for the Wrath of Khan. I don't know where we go from here. But well, wait a minute, have you identified the best movie since you don't think Wrath of I Khan did. was six? I, I think six is the best one. I, I for me, six is the best one for for many of the reasons that Khan is good, but six is better because it's more. To me, it's, it's more relevant to my own experience, my own life, my own geopolitical positions and things. It's uh, what I really love about six is the ship. The ship is much more portrayed than it is in the other episodes. And the ship Uh is very much a Navy vessel. There's birthing, there's a galley, there's, there's things going on on the ship in six that don't happen, certainly don't happen since the first episode of Star Trek, the original series. And I can get that. I understand that. My problem with six is the collusion among the upper echelon of both Star Trek and the Klingons to keep things the way they always were and that they were willing to commit terrorism and murder to do it. And yet, Bill, and yet, what has been one of the headlines this year? about the joint, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff picking up the phone and calling who? Yeah, that's true. For me, that six is, is one that really, because of my own experience, my own geopolitical raising and that kind of six is the one that really, really hits home for me. Two, I love. Don't get me I, wrong. I love it. 
Yeah. But yeah. but six is my favorite. And you know, six would be there for with me as is probably the second best of the movies. Well, there you go. What do you think? You so, can let us know what you think. My email is Dave at the Dave Bowman Show.com. And mine is Bill Mick at iHeartMedia.com. And of course you can hear Bill on WMMB every weekday morning. Well, Except usually, for Mondays. Except for Mondays. Through now. the end of the year. Right. On WMMB AM, you can check them out on Facebook or on iHeartMedia. And um, I guess that's it until the next time, which as far as I know will be tomorrow morning at, at 5 a.m. Pacific time or 8 a.m. Eastern time. We'll talk in the morning. We're going to have some fun stuff to get into. Yeah, which, which was, it was a good NFL weekend, so I'm sure we'll get into some of that as well. So, Well, it was good and bad depending on who you were and who you liked. It was a great weekend for you, huh? Yeah, it was a fantastic <laughs> weekend for me. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than this week. I mean, Wyoming wins, Denver wins, the Giants win, and the Falcons beat the Saints, who I just abhor. And anyway, maybe that's tomorrow. So live long and prosper, my friends. And we will see you next time on Trek Talk. Thanks, Dave. It was fun. 